A reminder that on April 8th, we'll start another Sunday school series called Grounded in the Gospel, during which we'll be studying a a Reformed Baptist catechism. In some ways, it's going to be a sequel to this class, expanding on the things that we've learned together here, and of course, much more. I did make, I'm not going to do something that I said I might do today, and that was to answer some of those questions I gave. So I apologize for saying that we might do that today, but we're going to need all 41 minutes now to, to get through the, the material we have today, including a section I added at the end on, so what? Why are these, why are these truths that we're looking at so important? So, email me questions still, and um, maybe I can still post something that will address that. So let's pray, and we'll get started with today's lesson. Father in heaven, thank you for this day, the day that you have set apart, and so we have set apart to gather together with your church family and praise you and worship you in the ways that you have called us to worship you. And thank you for this time before our worship service when we can continue to think about these great doctrines of your grace. Help us now, we pray, to understand your word and your truth for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning is our sixth and final lesson Uh, Following the introductory class, we've looked at the five points, the doctrines of total depravity, irresistible grace, unconditional election and limited atonement that leaves us with perseverance of the saints, which we'll be studying today. These five points, uh, a recap here, these five points were first formally summarized in the canons of Dort as a response to the unorthodox assertions of the remonstrants who were followers of the theology of Jacobus Arminius. These five points are also known as the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. And they are, simply put, those teachings from the Bible which collectively begin to explain the depth and the breadth of God's grace. They just begin to explain the depth and the breadth of God's grace. But that is at least what they do. This grace of God in an instant when God opens your eyes is sufficiently comprehensible. In other words, you don't have to go to Bible college You don't have to have great theology. You don't have to know these five points to be saved. I really want to make that clear. You have to know, as John Newton said, I am a great sinner and he is a great savior. So these doctrines of grace, the grace of God is in an instant when God opens your eyes, 
sufficiently comprehensible. In other words, you can know enough of the grace of God in an instant when God opens your eyes to be saved. You don't need to know these five points in order to be saved. We would never say that. At least I would never say that. That is simple saving faith in the grace of God and you can in an instant sufficiently comprehend it. I watched the uh, part of the Billy Graham uh, funeral this past week. By accident, I think I was I was somewhere else online and then there was a link that I could watch it live stream. So I watched it for a bit and I was I was actually uh, very encouraged by Franklin Graham, who gave uh, what I thought was a a good gospel presentation and was excited as I looked out and and thought about the the people who were there listening. He had them captivated. He had all their attention, including our our president. And uh, he gave the the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were some things, of course, that I I wish he would have said differently. And um, especially at the end when he said, all you have to do is right now pray this prayer and you will be saved. I I didn't think that was an accurate expression of what we need to do in response to the gospel. But he at least proclaimed the gospel. And I thought he did a, a really good job. I was encouraged. And I was praying as I was watching it, knowing that in an instant, people in that audience could sufficiently comprehend that grace of God enough to be saved. Praying for simple, saving faith. So that said, though in an instant, the grace of God is sufficiently comprehensible. You could never fully comprehend the glory of it. So you can get enough in an instant to be saved, but you could never fully comprehend the glory of God's grace. So that is one way to think about what we have been doing in this class. We want to know, we want to understand more of the glory that is the grace of God. The gospel, maybe you'll be helped by this image, the gospel is like a custom mansion with more than a beautiful porch or entryway. I think that many Christians spend their life on the porch of the gospel. But never walk into the mansion and explore. And marvel at what it is that God has done. God has been gracious to all of us, Christian or not. God has been good to all of us. But if you are a Christian... He has been merciful to you. He has been merciful, which means that he has relented his wrath on you and he has saved you from Satan, sin, hell, and yourself. You were born spiritually. This is a review of what we've studied. You were born spiritually broken, lost, enslaved, dead, deaf, And dumb. God is good, great, and free to save or not save you. He's not obligated. He's free to save or not save you. And if you are a Christian, someone at some point spoke the gospel to your ears 
And at some point, God spoke powerfully to your heart. We've studied this. He also powerfully worked in your heart, changing you and enabling you to willingly turn from your sin and self-reliance and trust and love Jesus. And God decided to do all this for you before creation. So that's a summary of the glory of what God has done for us as Christians. God's grace did not make you, we talked about this last week, savable. It actually saved you. And today's topic, God's grace will keep you saved until you are finally saved. There is not a more encouraging truth in the Bible than what we're looking at today. I'll tell you that right now. There is, there is nothing more encouraging for a Christian than this doctrine that's been called historically the perseverance of the saints. It means that you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You were saved, you were justified, you are being saved, you are being sanctified, and you will be saved, you will be glorified. And if you were saved, if you're here and you know, yes, I have been saved, it is an absolute certainty that you will be saved. So let's begin, and let's begin by reading all three paragraphs from chapter 17 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. That's our confession here that we see as a most accurate expression of what the Bible teaches. Chapter 17 in that confession is titled Perseverance of the Saints. So let me read these three paragraphs and then we'll get into the points of perseverance. Number one. Those God has accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit and given the precious faith of his elect can neither totally nor finally fall from a state of grace. They will certainly persevere in grace to the end and be eternally saved because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Therefore, he still brings about and nourishes in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the spirit that lead to immortality. Even though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet these things will never be able to move the elect from the foundation and rock to which they are anchored by faith. The felt sight of the light and love of God may be clouded and obscured from them for a time through their unbelief and the temptations of Satan. Yet God is still the same. Yea, will certainly be kept by the power of God for salvation, where they will enjoy their purchased possession, for they are engraved on the palms of his hands, and their names have been written in the book of life from all eternity. Did you hear all the phrases in that paragraph? They can neither totally nor finally fall from a state of grace. They will certainly persevere in grace to the end. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. 
the storms and floods will never be able to move you. Though his light and though his goodness may be obscured at times, God is still the same. You will certainly be kept. Number two. This perseverance of the saints does not depend on their own free will, thank goodness, but on the unchangeableness of the decree of election, which flows from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father. It is based on the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with him, the oath of God, the abiding of his spirit, the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace, the certainty and infallibility of their perseverance is based on all these things. And number three, they may fall into grievous sins and continue in them for a time. Due to the temptation of Satan in the world, the strength of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of means of their preservation. In so doing, they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit. Their graces and comforts become impaired. Their hearts are hardened and their consciences wounded. They hurt and scandalize others and bring temporary judgments on themselves. These are Christians, by the way doing all these terrible things. Nevertheless, they will renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. And you can think of examples in Scripture of those who sinned and sinned terribly and yet in the end repented and ultimately persevered. R.C. Sproul prefers the term preservation of the saints over perseverance of the saints. Because not only is it a matter of, as we'll see, us persevering in our faith, it is a matter of, and our persevering is due to God preserving us. Which those three paragraphs make clear in our confession. So this really gets back to the question, how did you get saved? Remember, we asked that early on in this class. How did you get saved? The grace of God. And our answer, my answer, the answer taught, I hope your answer was not free will. It wasn't your free will that got you saved. Yes, you made a decision. Yes, you made a choice. Yes, you freely chose to follow Jesus Christ, but your choice was not the foundational choice. God's choice was foundational. He chose you before the foundations of the world. And in time, he enabled you to make the choice to follow him. So the answer to that question, how did you get saved, is not free will. Then we answer the question today because it's the same answer. The question today is, how do how do I know or why do you think that you'll be a Christian in five years? In 10 years, in 20 years, or how do you know that you'll be a Christian in five years or in 10 years, in 20 years? It's the same answer to how did I get saved? So if your answer is free will. Is how I got saved. And now your answer to. This is why I'll be a Christian in 5 years. And 10 years and 20 years. If the answer to that question for you. Is free will. No security. 
don't know about you, but zero security for me. No hope for me. I know my own heart. I know my own tendencies. I know my own thoughts. I would have no security in thinking that in five years, ten years, twenty years, I will still, on my own, be choosing Christ. No, He saved me. And He keeps me. So I have five points here. We'll go through them quickly. They're taken from John Piper's seminar called The Pursuit of God's Glory in Salvation. And these five points collectively are going to give us a biblical understanding of this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Here are the five points. You have them on your outline. And then we'll go through them one at a time. Number one, we must persevere in faith if we are finally to be saved. Number two, The obedience of holiness that comes from faith is necessary for salvation. Number three, the justified will be kept by God for final salvation. Number four, falling away from faith and holiness shows that we never truly belonged to Christ. Number five, therefore, let us be vigilant and fight the fight of faith as assured victors. So we're going to go through those. There's a lot of scriptures here uh, in your handout. We're not going to go over all of them. But we'll go through enough of them, I think, to support these claims that we're making. So number one. We must persevere in faith if we are to finally be saved. And our first scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We must persevere, this verse tells us. We must hold fast to the word. And if we hold fast to the word, then we are truly being saved. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue In the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you continue in the faith, in other words, you and I must continue in the faith in order to be finally saved, we must persevere. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 12, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we don't endure, we won't reign with him. What's another word for endure? Persevere. If we don't persevere, if we don't endure, We will not 
reign with him. And finally, Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So what if you don't endure Christian till the end? What is that verse telling you? You won't be saved. So it's very clear in these scriptures that you and I must persevere in the faith till the end. Whatever the perseverance of the saints is. Whatever this security of our salvation is. It is not some free pass to live however we want to live. We must persevere. We must endure to the end. Our next point makes us even more clear. The obedience of holiness or the change that comes from faith is necessary for final salvation. In other words, this point gets to what does that perseverance look like? Okay, we must persevere to the end. We must endure to the end. Well, that perseverance to the end, that enduring to the end, it looks like something. You can you can see it. It's holiness. It's a difference in you. And it is essential that that is a part of you. In order to be finally saved. Let's look at the verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. According to Hebrews 12, 14, will you see the Lord if you do not strive for holiness? No, you will not. Without it, without which, No one, including you, including me, will see the Lord. It means holiness. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what if you don't put to death the deeds of the body? You will not live. You will die. These are serious verses that keep us from taking for granted the security we have in Christ. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you. As I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I'm a Christian, I say. God saved me. And I hear that God will keep me to the end. The perseverance of the saints. So I promote, let's say, that doctrine. But now here I am. Living like this. And I'm living like that and saying, but I learned that once saved, always saved. So I'm okay. 
I'm secure. It doesn't matter what I do. Once saved, always saved. That's a gross misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. What if I do these things? Can I do those things and still inherit the kingdom of God according to Paul in Galatians 5? Absolutely not. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We'll skip some of those verses you have. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Isn't that interesting verse? So what if I don't love the brothers? Well, I guess I haven't passed out of death into life. One of the ways that you know you have been saved, that you have passed out of death to life, is because we love the brothers. So can I not love people and say that I have passed from death to life? No, I can't say that. John 8.31 is similar. So Jesus said to those who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So can I not abide in the words of Jesus Christ and say that I am his disciple? I can't do that. I can't do that. So number two, the obedience of holiness, the change. That comes from true faith is necessary for final salvation. And number three. Here is the good news that we've been prepared for now. We've really said in those first two points what the doctrine of this perseverance of the saints is not saying. It's not saying once saved, always saved, and so it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter whether or not you pursue Christ to the end. No. We must work. We must persevere. We must evidence a change in our heart. Holiness. And at number three. Number three. The justified will be kept by God for final salvation. In other words, the justified, the Christian will persevere to the end. So we said you must persevere to the end. The Christian will persevere to the end. You must pursue holiness in order to be saved. And the true Christian will produce holiness and be saved. And the reason, Christian, that you will persevere and you will be holy and you will follow Christ. And when you screw up, small or big, you will repent and you will persevere to the end. The reason you will do that is because you will be kept by God for final salvation. There's nothing better here. 
Not because there's something great in you or you're better than someone else or you work harder or you pulled yourself together when others didn't or you had more fortitude or you had more commitment or you were holier. No, 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 none of those things. You will be saved. You will be holy. You will persevere to the end because of the grace of God. He promises to keep you. So let's look at the verses. And there are so many. This has to be the best. This has to be the best. In one of the best chapters in the entire Bible. Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God. And I hope that's you right now. That you love God. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And now listen to verse 30. And those whom he predestined. He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I hope that we understand what each of those activities of God means as we've studied in this class together. He predestined. People, and then he called those people, and then he justified those people, and all those people will be glorified. Now, here's the good news of this chapter no one drops out of this. That's the good news of verse 30. It doesn't say that he predestined and then he called. And some of the called were not justified or some of the justified were not glorified. No, those he predestined. He called those he called, he justified those he justified, he glorified. What that means is if you've been justified, so here you are right in the. It's going to show up. That's funny. There it is. It was late. If you've been justified. Because here's what we know. This is what this is what we experience. I'm a Christian. I didn't love God. I love God. My sins are forgiven. He's changed me. He's transformed me. Right. You've experienced the justification of God that has come through your faith in Jesus Christ. So what do you know, according to verse 30? If you have been justified, you know that you've been looking back, you know you've been predestined. According to that verse. You've been justified because you have been predestined. And here's the really good news. What do you also know looking forward? If you've been justified, you will be what? You will be glorified. What does that mean? You will be kept. You will be kept. The justified will be kept 
by God for final salvation. And then verse 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the context of that well-known verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Like preserve us to the end. And keep us to the end. If you're a Christian, you will never drop out of God's love. Christians ask, can I lose my salvation? That's the wrong question. The correct question is, can Christ lose a Christian? And the answer is absolutely not. No. No, he doesn't throw you the life preserver, pull you on shore, and then throw you back. That is not God. He didn't save you and then unsave you. He doesn't say, never mind. If he saved you, he is saving you, and he will save you. You will be kept. John 10, 26 through 30. But you do not believe. We've studied this verse before. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. So we're talking about. Jesus is talking about his sheep. But we've talked about who that is. Those are Christians. Those that he's justified. Those that he's saved. So what do, what do they do? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So I'm a sheep. Right? You know you're a sheep. I'm a Christian. What is Jesus saying? You are in my hand. A Christian is in Jesus' hand. And what does he say here? And no one, no one, not unbelievers, not your family, not your neighbors, not Satan, No one can take you out of Jesus' hand. My Father, who has given them, that's you again, to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, what is the point of those verses other than to tell Christians, you are safe? You're safe. You're in Jesus' hands, you're in the Father's hands. Those are the same hands. I and the Father are one. That's the picture. And you are in my hands. Because I feel like I'm getting snatched out of His hands. I feel like I'm wavering in my faith. I feel like I'm not going to persevere. I feel like I'm going to be overwhelmed and overcome by trouble and temptation. And what does He say? No. No one can snatch you out of my hand. You are in my hands. In other words, the justified will be kept for final salvation. First Peter one, three through five. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an imperishable, undefiled and unfading 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. You're going to be faithful through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is all future gifts. Future gifts. And you are going to have those future gifts. Why? Because you, by God's power, are what? Being guarded. What's another word for being guarded? Being kept. First Peter 5, 8 through 10. No, let's skip that one. You can read it on your own. Jude 1, 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you. He's able to keep you and he will keep you from stumbling to present you blameless. First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not just praying for that. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. What does it say? He will surely do it. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed. You sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. Do you hear the perseverance here? Do you hear the truth that you will be kept? You became a Christian, you were given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a seal, sealed up for Christ. A guarantee. A guarantee. Not a, a maybe. Not if. It's a certainty. A guarantee of our inheritance. Gosh, so many verses here. Read these verses on your own. Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Did God begin a good work in you? If He did, He will bring it to completion. What God starts in our souls he will finish. And then finally, let's skip to Luke 22. Verses 31 and 32. Remember this passage where Jesus is talking to Peter or Simon? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Can you imagine? Satan Asking Jesus if he can sift you like wheat. If he can take spiritually. But through whatever means, including physically like Job. That he could take a metal grate. And push you hard into that metal grate. So that your faith and your trust in Christ is left behind and sifted out of you. Jesus says to Simon, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. But here's one of the reasons, Christian, that you persevere even if Satan demands to have you. 
But I, and who's I? Jesus, have prayed for you. Now, if there's anybody you want praying for you, it's Jesus. I, I want you to pray for me. I really do. But I want Jesus to pray for me. Jesus says, I have prayed for you that what? Your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Did Peter's faith temporarily fail? Yeah. Yeah. He denied Christ. He gave in to worldly fears and pressure and over and over again, three times in a matter of hours, denied having any association with Jesus. Did his faith ultimately fail? No. Remember those three paragraphs in the confession of faith? God's goodness may be obscured. We, we may fall into grievous sin. But what will a Christian always do? A Christian will always repent. Now, according to Luke 22, Peter, who did sin, who did fail, why did he repent? Because Jesus prayed that his faith may not fail. So here's what I want to know. Does Jesus pray for me like that? Or was that just a Peter thing? Well, here's the good news of Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. So he died. He was raised. And now, what's Jesus doing? Who is at the right hand of God who indeed, what's he doing, is interceding for us. So what if Satan demands to have you? Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus is praying for you. Praying that your faith may not fail. And if you are in Christ, your faith will not fail. We're in trouble because we're already out of time. So let's go through these last couple quickly. Number four. Falling away from faith and holiness shows that we never truly belonged to Christ. So this is responding to those verses that, that make it look like, well, wait a minute. It looks like people are Christians and then they're not Christians. And the, and the Bible just very frankly says that, no, they just were never Christians. So in other words, it's answering, it's speaking to that objection that we would have. Those examples that we have. Those people that you know, right? They were Christians and now they're not Christians. Well, here's what you'd know according to these texts that we're going to look at. Either they looked like Christians, but they weren't. Or they're going to repent. It's a season of disobedience. And they're going to turn. Now, do you know yet which they are? No. So do you render final judgments and stop praying for them and evangelizing to them? Absolutely not. Because your hope is that they'll be like David. And maybe you'll be like Nathan. And you'll come to David and you'll tell him a story. And all of a sudden, conviction strikes. The Holy Spirit strikes his heart like a lightning bolt. And he turns and repents. And is never the same. And that could be your friend or family member that looked like they were a Christian and now they're not a Christian. The Bible makes this very clear. First John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. That's very clear. It does not say they were of us, but then decided to leave us. It could say that. It does not say that. It says the reason they left is because they actually were, past tense, not of us. 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. So here is someone and they're now continuing in sin. This means unrepentant sin. Doing the same thing over and over again. Being confronted. Being challenged. Not caring. Pushing it off. I'm going to do what I want. They keep on sinning. Well, here's the truth. Someone who keeps on sinning like that, they have never, it says, known him. That may look like they did. Hebrews 6 talks about that too. But they never knew him. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that no one may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So in other words, if we don't, if we fall, we looked over some of those verses earlier, we show that we have not come to share in Christ. If we don't hold our confidence firm to the end, then we hadn't come to share in Christ. This was the case with David in the Bible and uh, Jonah and Solomon, I think, and Peter falls from grace, but not ultimate falls from grace. They didn't end up going out from us and not returning. R.C. Sproul says true Christians can have radical and serious falls, but never totally and finally fall from grace. So this is true. If you are a Christian, though you will struggle with sin. Though you may to use that old word backslide. You may hurt yourself and others. You may make errors. If you are a Christian, you will persevere. You will grow in holiness. You will bear fruit. And you will be faithful until you die or Jesus returns. And you will persevere because God will persevere in getting you there. So, one way, thinking about this point that we're making here, because the question might come up, if I'm going to persevere to the end, then God tells me what I need to do to persevere in the end, and then I have these promises that He will keep me until the end, then why all these threats and why all these warnings? So, one way... That God gets you to the end faithfully. 
is through the assurance. There's two I'm going to give you is through the assurance of great promises that he has made. We've gone over those lest you give up. And those will be good for you over and over and over again. One way that God will get you, Christian, to persevere to the end is by giving you his great promises and you will read them and you will be assured over and over again. But here is another way. A second way that God gets you to persevere to the end. It is through warnings and stories of apostasy. He will use these warnings to snap you back into reality, awaken you, and turn you from self-reliance. Remember, God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. If God has saved you, he will save you. But in all these things, God uses what? Means. God uses means. You're not robots. He doesn't just take you over. He doesn't just zap you and then beam you to heaven. He he uses Christians to share the gospel with you. And he uses Christians praying for you. And then once you are saved, he uses his promises to encourage you. And he uses his warnings to sober you up and to snap you out like he did with people throughout Scripture. So finally, that means number five, Therefore, let us be vigilant and fight the fight of faith as assured victors. These warnings of falling away are part of the means that God uses to keep you. So lots of scriptures that we could look at. 2 Peter 1 and 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Philippians 2.12 and 13. Isn't the the, the promises here and the, the warning is here? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear, And trembling. Work. Effort. Fight. Persevere. Endure. But then what does he say? For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what is it saying? Persevere. Work. And then what does he say? And God is preserving you. God is working in you. And finally, Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In conclusion, I'll just say these points. We don't have time to go over the verses or some uh, quotes that I had. But why are these truths of the gospel so important? So, so what? As we've studied these doctrines of grace together. It's always good at the end of a sermon, at the end of a class to ask the question, so what? What does this mean? And then what does this mean for me? How does this apply to me? 
The point of this class is to not just make us better theologians. The point of this class is not to just get more and more accurate knowledge in our brains. Theology is always for something. And ultimately, theology is for knowing and loving God. So what's the benefit of knowing these five points? And I can speak for myself. And uh, it, would, it, would, it would be these. These truths are God-centered. So these truths open my eyes and did from the very beginning. They open my eyes to man-centeredness in the world, even in the church. It is not all about you. And it is not all about me. It is all about God. So these truths are God-centered. Number two, these truths help make me serious. So much is just casual and trivial in the world that we live in. But these truths help sober me up and make me serious about the things of God. Number three, these truths make me humble. So humble. Because I, before I knew these truths and the extent of them, I, I came in with a, with a little, a little piece of boasting. There was always something that I could boast in or take some pride in. And these truths just take every ounce of that out. I'm, I'm reaching, I'm grasping for something that I contribute or something that I can brag about or something that I can boast about or something I can be proud about. And it's just, there's absolutely nothing. So these truths make me humble. Number four, these truths give us confidence, especially today. They make me confident that the work which God planned and began, he will finish both globally and personally in me. Number five, these truths lead us to pray. Now, this is interesting because these next two were two of the arguments that my dad growing up would have used against these five points of Calvinism. He would, I don't remember if he said exactly these words, but he would think things like, those who believe those five points don't pray. God's, God's in control. God's got it all planned out. It's all predestined. What's the point of praying for someone who's not a Christian? God's already decided whether they're going to be a Christian or not. So you don't pray. And those who believe those five points don't evangelize. They, they don't share Christ. Because what's the point? That's the argument. God's already decided who will be saved and who won't be saved. Now, we've, we've talked about those things in our time together. But actually... What I've found is these truths lead me to pray. These truths make me hopeful that God has the will, the right, and the power to answer the prayer that people be changed. So if I've got someone who needs to change, I have zero confidence that they will change apart from God. And I have 100% confidence that they can be changed with God's help. So I'm praying that God would work in their hearts and change them. And if I don't believe that, then what am I praying? What am I praying? This is why everybody prays like a Calvinist. Everybody prays like everybody's always praying for God to do something. But do you really believe that God does something? 
Or do you believe that God just does something equally for everyone? And then he stops and it's up to the free will of, of everybody else. I mean, if you believe that, then there's nothing left to pray. If you're praying, God, do something in my son's heart. Do something in my neighbor's heart. Save them. What are you praying? If he's done everything he can and it's up to their free will. So I don't believe that. I believe there's a lot more to pray. We turn all these verses into prayer that you have there. God, take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God, open their eyes that they may receive your word as truth. God, write your word on their hearts. Cause them, incline them to you. Number six, these truths lead me to evangelize. These truths remind me that evangelism is absolutely essential for people to come to Christ and be saved and that there is a great hope for success in leading people to faith but that conversion is not finally dependent on me or limited by the hardness of the unbeliever. I can be radically fearless and radically hopeful in all that I do. And finally, number seven, these truths lead us to worship. These truths make us stand in awe of God and lead us into the depth of true God-centered worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for these truths that we've studied over the past couple months. And we ask that you would take your scripture and the truth in your scripture and work it deeply into our minds and hearts so that we know you more and so that we love you more, so that we love others more, so that we become more and more every day the people that you have called us to become. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.